God church praise God again I thank your neighbor and tell them lovely day and it's wonderful to see your face today it's a lovely thing to see faces in the morning amen yeah sometimes you long for the morning to come so you may see faces all right but God is God I'm glad today to share with us, so without wasting time, we're going to go into the Word of God today. Now, if you are our guest uh, this morning, we are doing an exposition of the book of Philippians. And so far, we've had uh, two sittings. That is, uh, we began with chapter 1, joy and suffering. And then we tackled chapter 2, joy in serving. So I don't know where you are at today. I don't know if you're suffering in this moment, but in that suffering, I don't know if also you are serving. Alright? Ask your neighbor, are you serving? Yeah, so we've been able to tackle those two topics. Today we are talking about joy and believing. That is Philippians chapter 3. But before I get on, I want to put a foundation slightly concerning what I believe is it's important for us to be able to look at the book of Philippians in the right perspective. I want to suggest that if you are not a believer, then it is impossible for you to be able to be a partaker of the joy that Paul is talking about. This joy in the book of Philippians is a reserve for the believers. Amen? Now we want to see the reason why it is a reserve for the believers. As we have gone through the book of Philippians, one of the questions that have been on my mind has been what kind of joy is this? What kind of joy is this that you would still be joyful even in suffering. What kind of joy is this that will make Paul be happy in the condition he was in, in a prison, writing joyfully to the church at Philippi. That the church at Philippi, we know as the first church in Europe, according to what we were taught with Pastor Peter, it was the first church in Europe when Paul responded to the call from Macedonia, saying, come over and help us. Now Paul writes and says that he saw a man calling for help, but when he got there, it was a lady called Judas. Right? Now basically, it means there's no gender in spirit. That's what Jesus taught us, right? There's no gender in spirit. So this lady was the first convert, the first believer and the founder of the church at Philippi, which is named after the father to Alexander the Great. So we know all this, we know the history that goes with us, that how Paul and Silas were in prison, all right? We know that when Paul went on his second voyage, his second missionary journey, when he came back into Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, 
that were meant for Jews. We know what happened there. There were fracas and then something happens. Paul is arrested. And now we are hearing from Paul when he has made his way all the way to Rome and is in prison right there writing the book of Philippians. Brothers and sisters, it's important to understand what joy this is. Now the first thing I want us to look at is that this joy only comes from our love for God. Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse 10. The Bible says, I'll shorten it, that is the, the part we like to quote. Nehemiah, he says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But we need to understand why he's saying that. The Bible says that when you go back to Nehemiah, you realize that they had built the wall around that time. And you know they were enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah, that were trying to destruct the work of the Lord. And when the wall was done, the Bible says they opened the scrolls and read the law of the Lord. And people broke out in tears. It was the tears of joy. Because they had never had a chance to listen to this amazing address from their God. Amen? So the Bible says then, that Nehemiah says there and then that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Remember, they have been strengthened to do the work of the Lord despite the enemies around them. What strengthened them to do the work? What gave them the motivation to do the work? It was the joy of the Lord. Amen? Number two, Psalm 16:11. This joy is found in dwelling in the Lord, being in Him. The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So this joy is found in the presence of the Lord. Number three, this joy is found in being obedient unto God. John 15, 11. Now Jesus said that the words he had spoken to his disciples, I believe then you and me now, these words would fill our hearts with joy. Amen. He said his father's love enabled and propelled him to do all he did. And say that he also prays that we shall abide in his love so that his love can propel us to do his will. Amen? So this joy is found in being obedient to the commands of the Lord. Now, now you understand why he said this joy is a reserve for the believers. But one of the questions that have been on my mind, I don't know if you are like me, but when I read the scripture, I ask myself critical questions. One of the things that stood out for me is when the Bible says, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Now you realize then there is a problem because when the Bible says and the fruit of the Spirit 
It means it's singular one. Alright? Now for me that wouldn't make sense. So I tried in my head to understand this thing. I couldn't figure out. But I realized this. This is the fourth point. That joy is an expression of love. One of the expressions of love is joy. Alright? So in other words, Galatians 5 is saying this. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Alright? But this love is expressed in... (laughs) Alright? So the love of God has expression. And this expression is seen in the kindness, in your patience, in the peace in your life. Why do I say that? When you go to the chapter of love, 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible now says, and love is patient, love is kind, love is, it does not boast. So love then is a fruit of the Spirit. So this love is what dwelt in the hearts of the men of God and it propelled them to doing the will of the Father. Amen? It is important because this will help us understand this chapter more and more. When you go to the book of 1 John, John is writing and saying that we have never seen God. Alright? Now, because we've never seen God, the only way we can be able to say we know God is by the way we treat our brothers, alright? So he says that because God is love, then it will be far from us to say that we know God if we cannot love, alright? So if you know God, then you're filled with love, alright? For God so loved the world, alright? So God is love, alright? Now, if you come to him, his spirit, when he releases his spirit unto you, then you have an ability to love. Amen? But this love that we are talking about, I want to take it in Aramaic. This is what it's called. The word love in Aramaic is the word hoba. Now, this means a burning from within. It is a love that sets you on fire to act in a certain way. Alright? So this love propels you. Okay? To do a certain thing. This love forces you, Mr. Ademola, to act in a certain way. Alright? So if you are angry and you would wish to respond in anger, this love from within pushes you to be a peaceful person. Alright? So it basically means for us to live the life that we are called for. Then Paul writes and says that we must believe lives led by the Spirit of God, which is a spirit of love. Amen? So now we shall go into Philippians chapter 3. Now with that understanding, I want you to understand why Paul is able to show joy in suffering because it is beyond his control. It is a push of the Spirit of God from within him. I want you to understand that when Paul is having joy in serving the Lord, even in prison, it is not what he would desire to do, but it is a push of the Spirit of God. So he's saying he relies on the Spirit of God to do whatever he's doing. Amen? 
So chapter 3, off we go. From verse 1, the Bible says this. I'm reading from NLT version. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Paul is saying this, that this joy can be an option to you. Alright? In that as a believer, you can choose to have this joy manifested in your life. But you can also choose not to express it. So he's saying, whatever happens around you, if there be anything you must resolve to do, he's saying this, you must continue to rejoice. Amen? So he's saying, continue to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, let me submit to you that if the devil is after anything in your life, he's taking away your joy. Because if he takes away your joy, then he will crush your spirit. Proverbs 17, 22. Esther, if I could have it on the screen. A cheerful heart is good medicine. In other words, a joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit sups person's strength. If the devil can break your spirit is by snatching your joy. Now that's why Paul is writing and telling them, do whatever it takes to remain joyful in the Lord. Amen? But then he goes on further and says, if there be anything he's willing to repeat, a million, a thousand times is the same. He says, I'll not tire telling you this. I'll keep telling you again and again. Why? It will safeguard you. From who? From the dogs. Chapter 3 verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. Those people who do evil. Those mutilators. Who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship in the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul is using harsh words to describe certain group of people. He's saying there are dogs among you. And these dogs are barking and they are willing to bite. Alright? Now it is strange for Paul to use this word because we know that this word in the scripture was referring to the Gentiles. Amen? Because when Jesus, you remember the story of Jesus and the lady who came to beg for healing and Jesus said we cannot take the food from the children, <laughs> throw it to the dogs. We know the story, alright? So then, it was that the Gentiles were referred to as dogs by the Jews. They didn't deserve anything good from the Lord. But Paul is turning it around. 
and saying that these people who are among you, who are bringing a different gospel apart from faith unto the Lord for salvation, are dogs. In other words, they don't belong to God anymore. Amen. They are not in the house of the Lord anymore. They are evildoers. Mutilators. <laughs> Paul is saying that your circumcision is basically maiming yourself for nothing. That's what he's saying. He's referring to that. He's saying you are maiming yourself. You are cutting your limbs for nothing. It means nothing. But he flips the coin and looks at what salvation is. So he's saying there are two groups of people here. There is me and the fellow believers who believe in the power of salvation by faith. But there are this group of dogs, evildoers and mutilators who believe in the work of flesh. Now he's saying us who have experienced a heart change by faith, we have been enabled to worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, we are the true worshippers of God. Number two, we have been enabled to have the joy of the Lord. Amen? So if you are not saved, you can't experience this joy. Alright? Number three, we have confidence in the finished work of the cross other than the works of flesh. Verse 4 to 11. I'm going to read. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul is bragging, alright? So he's telling these guys who are bringing a different gospel that if I were you, I will do it to a different level. Alright? So he's saying, let me brag to you my accomplishments. Okay? So he's telling, he's telling them his accomplishments. Now, brothers and sisters, here we see the earthly standards of righteousness versus the heavenly standards of righteousness. Paul is saying he was circumcised on the eighth day. Leviticus, I believe, chapter 17 talks about that. Circumcised on the eighth day. A pure blood citizen of Israel. In other words, I am not mixed race. Okay? I am not writing to you as a mixed race. My father was a Jew. Or is a Jew. And my mother is a Jew. Alright? So I am pure blood. If there be that. Okay? 
I'm not writing because I have brushed upon other customs. I'm writing because I'm a Jew like you. That's what Paul is saying. From the tribe of Benjamin. Alright? Now this is important. Why? Because we know the tribe of Benjamin was the only loyal tribe to remain. When the kingdom split after King Solomon, the tribe of Benjamin remained on the side of Jerusalem. They chose to be on the side of Jerusalem. So Paul is boasting about that and saying, I don't come from a tribe who are traitors. Alright? You know, in our society we have... He's saying, I don't come from the guys who are traitors. I'm not like them. Number two, we gave you the first king of Israel. Because Saul, the first king of Israel, came from the tribe of Benjamin. And Mark you, I was named after him. Basically, that's what he's saying. I was Saul like him. We gave you the first king. A real Hebrew. Best of the Pharisees. <laughs> In other words, I was the best of the elite among you. That, that's what he's saying. Because the Pharisees were the elites. I was the best of the elites. And on towards the zeal, I went ahead and did what you could not do. I persecuted the church. You were talked about it, but you're doing nothing. In other words, I was the only one who was courageous among you to pursue and kill them. That he's bragging about what he had done. And I obeyed the law without fault. Now we know this is a lie because when you look at Luke 18, 18 to 22, there's a rich young ruler who also thought the same way. <laughs> that, that he obeyed the law to the latter and then Jesus brought an issue about the first commandment of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and he failed. So Paul here basically is bragging but he also didn't keep the law. What are the heavenly standards? Matthew chapter 5. When you read from verse 5, Jesus Christ gives us the heavenly standard of righteousness. Now this heavenly standard of righteousness is so high for any man to achieve. It is so high that when Paul came across this standard of living, he thought all he had achieved was useless in reference to what Christ had done. Just being a partaker of the kingdom of God was an amazing thing that Paul could not achieve even with keeping of the law. The fact that Christ rose from the dead it was a greater achievement than any of those who kept the law would have achieved. Paul is saying that the fact that God chose you The fact that God came for you is greater than any achievement you could achieve. 
So he has bragged about his achievements. But he's saying, once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else worthless when I compare with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, our accomplishments don't give us value. You know, everything we own, we are the ones who give it value. Kileleshua, the rent in Kileleshua, it is the way it is. Because of the people who live in Kileleshua. Amen. It is the people who live in Kileleshua that give it value. It is not the other way around. It is not the shoe you wear that gives you value. <laughs> Alright, let me go closer. Actually, you make the shoe look nice. El Dademola. No, it's not my suit. I have made it look this way. <laughs> Alright? That's a reality. So Paul is saying this. There is value in knowing God. Why? Because this God has given you the right value. Oh, amen? He's saying this God has given you the right value. He has given me the right value. If he could leave everything to find me, then I'm worth something. That is what Paul is saying. I am worth something. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 44-46, Jesus talking about this guy who was in the farm, found a treasure, then he covered it up, went back, sold everything he had, and came for that treasure. Brothers and sisters, we like saying that Jesus is our treasure, but let me change that around. You are his treasure. Have you given up everything for him? Philippians 2 says that he was God, yet he didn't consider equality with God. But he gave everything away for the value of getting it. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are valuable. You are valuable. Turn to the other neighbor and tell them, you are valuable. If you're writing, write this. It is not the accomplishments of our hand that give us value. It is he who left all to find us that gives us the right value. What is your soul worth? God offers us eternity today. Like Paul, we must understand what we are worth and in whose hands we find value. From verse 12 to 16. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to the process that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me for. Now we all have vision in life. Every household, every person. Everyone has a vision. 
So Paul is actually referring to his conversion time. He's writing and saying that there was a vision that was clearly marked out for me. And I pursued this vision. I persecuted the church. I did whatever I did because that was my vision. But he's saying, then Christ arrested me. And when he arrested me, he arrested me for something. Now, brothers and sisters, God has called you because he has a plan for your life. So Paul is writing and saying that this plan that God has gotten hold of me for, I have not achieved it yet. Alright? He's saying, I have not achieved it yet. But what is he saying he's doing? What is he saying he's doing? But I press on to that process of perfection. Are you pressing on? Have you suffered setbacks? Paul is saying that on the journey you suffer setbacks. He's saying when you're on this journey you will suffer setbacks. And in chapter 4 we'll see why he's saying that. So what setbacks are you experiencing today? Paul is saying that God's plan is still on. Now he's saying, rise up, dust yourself, move on. He's saying, I have chosen, I have made up my mind, that irrespective, I will keep pursuing his plan. Marriage in trouble. He's saying, leave that behind, pursue the plan of God. Sickness and disease, he said, leave that, pursue the plan of God. And he goes on to say, that he's looking forward. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive a heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ has called me. Jesus is the prize. So in chapter 3, if you forget anything, Paul is saying that Jesus is the prize. So hold on. Let go of the setbacks. Rise up. Look ahead and pursue Jesus. That is what he's saying. And he's saying, in case we don't understand these things, alright? I hope by now you understand why he gave up everything, okay? Because of the joy. Because of the love of God in him, alright? So he gave up everything. If God would give up everything for you, then Paul knew the only way to achieve it is by letting go of the worthless. Now, is he saying the things we do are worth it? No, no, no. He's saying compared to Christ. Compared to knowing Christ. Compared to the value we find in Christ. These things are garbage. Amen? So he's now saying that any mature believer must know these things. And he's saying in case you don't know, God will 
reveal them unto you. So who is a mature believer? First John 2, 12 to 14. First John 2, 12 to 14. A mature believer have, has faith in the saving power of Christ. A mature believer lives according to the word of God. And a mature believer knows that he has defeated the evil one because of who he attached to. Amen? Three most important components of a believer. Faith in the saving power of Christ. You know Christ has saved you not because of what you've done. By, by grace you have received salvation. Alright? So it is not in what you have done or what you did or what you do. It is purely on the power of Christ saving you. Number two is that you are living in accordance with the word of God. Jesus in John 15 says that abide in me and I will abide in you. How are we to abide? He says by obeying my commands. When you go to First John 2, that's what he says. That you must live according to the word of God. And number three, you must know that the evil one is defeated. So a believer, even though you suffer setbacks that come from the attack of the enemy, you will still know he's defeated. Amen? So Paul is saying, don't lose that. Rejoice because you know he's defeated. Amen? Verse 16, very important. Don't despise the progress you have made. Now, maybe from last year up to now, you just took one step. Paul is saying, do not despise that. That is progress. Rejoice in that progress. He's saying, rejoice in the progress you have made. Verse 17 to 21. Dear brothers and sisters, Pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that they are many whose conduct show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Paul is saying that the evil you suffer today, Christ has crushed it, will crush it. Amen? He's saying that which you're suffering today, when he shows up, it will be crushed. Oh, hallelujah. But verse 17 to 21 Paul is telling us this. Avoid bad examples. <laughs> Don't follow people <laughs> who are bad example. Alright? And he's offering himself as an example to follow. 
He's saying, I am an example. But number two, the people who walk like me are examples to you. And remember, Pastor Peter talked about these people in chapter number two. He talked about who was there. There was Timothy. There was Paul himself. There was example of Christ. And number two, there was Epaphroditus. So he's telling them the examples among you of exemplary men and women who are living according to our calling. He's saying, avoid this kind of men or women. Alright? He's saying the people you should avoid are those who live life like this is the only life they have. That's what he's saying. For those who are young here, there is a term YOLO. You only live once. A deception from the enemy. And that's what Paul is addressing here. People who live like this, no other life. This is it. So let's eat, make merry, have money, get all we can because this is the life we have. Paul is saying that's a bad example. Do not follow them. Why? They are headed for destruction. We know when he's saying he's a good example. We all know one for Corinthians, First Corinthians 11. One, that's what he says. Follow me as I follow Christ. He says, but live like citizens of heaven. Please write this. Don't forget whose you are and what you represent. Don't forget whose you are and what you represent. The citizens of heaven. Number one. They live as if they are in heaven. Alright. A lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of serving. Alright. Ask your neighbor. Are you serving? Are you serving? A lifestyle of service. Worship. They follow the commands of heaven. Now Jesus, when on this earth, he said, I don't do nothing except what I he, see my father do. Alright? Now what he saw the father do, he did. So what do you do? Is that what Jesus commands? So a citizen of heaven follows the commands of heaven. Number three, a citizen of Heaven finds his help from heaven. Amen? Amen. Number four. A citizen of heaven is supplied from heaven. Is supplied from heaven. Now you know the work you do. God has given you that work. Amen? It is not your hands. It is not your skill. God has supplied for you. And we'll see also in chapter 4 why Paul is telling them that God will supply all their needs according to his riches and glory. The citizens of heaven honor their heavenly father. Amen. 
And number six, citizens of heaven live looking forward for the reward of heaven. The Bible says do not tire in doing good. Because in due season, God will come unto you. You shall reap. Alright? You shall receive. There is a reward for you. But this reward is not enough. It is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is Philippians chapter 3. Paul has exhorted us today to rise up beyond the challenge. To raise your head again. To fight the tide. Because the tide is coming in. The enemy is around you. So he's saying fight the tide. Keep the joy. But keep this joy because you believe in God. I don't know where you are at today. But as we've said, this joy only begins when you make Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I don't know if you are saying I need to be restored back to this road again to pick up from where I have been. I don't know if you are saying I need my love to be rekindled today. I need this fire that comes from the Spirit of God to be rekindled in my life again that I may be set on fire afresh. Tell your neighbor I desire to be set on fire. For him afresh. I know that God is here. And I know that his spirit is searching our hearts. So with every eye closed, I want to pray for you and with you if you are there. You are saying, I desire to know this God. You're saying, I relinquish and let go of my earthly accomplishments. And I want to stand again and start with you. If you're there saying you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand and we will pray with you. Anyone there saying that you desire to know him as your personal Savior, that he may set you on this journey. You raise your hand, we pray with you. Anyone? upstairs and one downstairs you are there like me saying Lord I desire this burning love to be rekindled in me raise your hand and we may believe together for a rekindling of that love that is from God that the spirit of God shall set us on fire this afternoon Father I release your children unto you raise your hand if you are asking. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Lord, we are raising our hands because we desire something different. We are raising our hands because, Lord, we are tired of religion and play acting. 
And in this moment, Lord, we surrender to you, the mighty God. You who's done mighty things in our lives. We ask for your spirit to set us ablaze again. May we burn again for you. May we burn with joy from within. That we may serve you, Lord, our living transformer. May you arise in our lives again. Take the throne of my life today. Take the throne, O Lord, and guide me. Lead my talk. Guide my walk. For I desire no one else but you. Thank you for restoration. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is afresh on us today. We give you praise and honor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you all.